We are at about week nine of our Joy Message series, and we've been focusing in the Bible, the book of Philippians. And so if you have your Bible, please go there, Philippians chapter 4. We will be be concluding our time in this passage next week. And in fact, what's really cool about next week is um, the entire reason Paul wrote this letter becomes very obvious. Up to this point, I've been saying he wrote the letter because he loved these people. That's true. I've been writing this. I've been telling you he wrote this letter to encourage them. That's true. But next week, we get to explore together from the words of the Bible exactly what his full heart was and why he was so joy-filled as he talked about them, why he was so joy-filled. This particular passage today, though, is one of my favorites in the entire Bible. One of those that if you want to memorize scripture that will help you, this is a wonderful set of words to put to memory. To hide in your heart, as the Bible says, your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. This is a wonderful set of passages. And rather than spending a whole lot more time setting it up, let's just jump in. Philippians chapter 4, here's what the Bible says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. What we think about has a dramatic impact on our lives. And in this book, Paul has been trying to get us to live the joy that God wants for us. The joy that God intends for us. When we look at this book and how often Paul talks about joy, and then we turn and look at our lives in a mirror, sometimes, if we're honest, there's a gap between the joy God has for us and the way we're really living. Some of you are there right now. There's a big gap. And the joy that the Lord has for you isn't as present, isn't as developed, isn't as realized. In this set of passages, Paul's going to show us some of the practical steps he has taken to have joy in his life. And let me remind you just a little bit about what happened at Philippi, the city where this church is, where he writes the letter that we call Philippians. Back in the book of Acts, when Paul started this church, he was just traveling through and he was talking to a group of of Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus somewhere near the, the synagogue, near the center of their faith. And they were talking about their faith that they shared, their heritage, and they were talking about how Jesus was the fulfillment of all they had hoped for. And that little group got excited, and they began to share the message of Jesus, and the message of Jesus in Philippi began to spread. And the moment it began to get traction and began to get good, trouble came. It was difficult. It's kind of like perhaps making a New Year's resolution that you're going to put God first in your life. And a lot of you did that last week in our service. And you're serious and you mean it and you want it to happen and you begin to take your first step. And when you take your first step, you feel that pushback. Or you decide we have had some ugly dynamics in our marriage, some unhealthy dynamics, or just not enjoyable dynamics in our marriage. Maybe not all that ugly. And we're going to make changes. And so you've decided we're going to change. And you take that first step, 
and it doesn't quite give you the full return on investment you had hoped for. Or you decide at the beginning of the year, this is the year we're going to get our finances in order. So you make a budget, you sit down and you do the work, you, you put it all on paper, and you're driving your car, the same car that has worked wonderfully every day for the last nine months, ten months, year, and this time it doesn't start. Come on, you've been there, right? You know the, the deflating feeling of taking a step forward and feeling the pushback. Pick an area of life that's happened to you. That's what happened to Paul. Philippi is going well. I mean, when you look at all the different work he's done, Philippi is going really, really well. But it seems as if the better it goes, the harder the ratchet back is. It's the student who says, this is the semester my grades are going to come into alignment. And then they get that teacher that just doesn't seem to and yet when he reflects on it, all he talks about is the joy. How? Mechanically, how did he get from the deflated reality to living in joy? And is there anything we can learn from his experience? So in your message notes right there in the program that looks like this, I have a couple blanks for you just so that you can take it home and remember it. I'm going to give you number one here. Here's what Paul did, and by doing it and by recording it for us, it serves to us kind of a steps to take. Here's the first thing. Paul challenges us to worry about nothing. Now, we're going to talk about that in a second, but i got to tell you, this is incredibly difficult to do. I haven't met a single person that hits it all the time. There are areas of your life that right now there are real challenges that when your friends hear about them, they worry for you. But somehow you're able to look at that area of life and you don't worry. But then there are other areas of life where maybe it's really not all that big of a deal. But for you, it's a thing. Paul somehow has pressed into a reality where he encourages us, but also somewhat lived the ability to not worry about anything. The words he uses in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. That sets a very high goal. Let's talk about what worry is, and maybe we can see why it's maybe more attainable than it at first appears to be. Worry is, for our working definition here, assuming responsibility that God never intended for me to have. Worry is not necessarily just a certain feeling of anxiousness from time to time. Sometimes that's just biology. Sometimes that's just different hormones in your body are released. Your pulse goes up. Your palms sweat. And this is not the good kind because you see a pretty girl or a pretty guy. This is the bad kind because you're a little anxious. It's the going up the roller coaster anxiousness. You know that? Right? I love roller coasters except the incline. I can't stand it. The anticipation builds. There are many roller coasters I won't get on because of that. I just, I don't mind the drop. It's the climb, the click, 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 click. And I know we're going up, but I feel like I'm about to enter hell. That's the way, that's the way I feel about that. It's click, and each click kind of, it's an impending doom that I feel, right? That's just biology. Beyond that, though, there can be an emotional, there can be a spiritual worry that sets in. Not because we have some false sense of what's going on around us or heightened sense. Sometimes we have an accurate sense. 
The worry Paul's talking about is when you and I begin to assume responsibility that God never intended for us to have. Let me give you an example. It's the mom or dad who appropriately worries about the spiritual condition of their kids. They, they worry. They know it's important. They can see the fruit of their son's or daughter's life. They can't see their heart, but they know it's not quite clicking. Parents know. And they really want it to click. And they worry. That kind of worry is not what he's talking about. It's the kind of worry then, because of that small worry, the parent picks up the responsibility to make it happen. They carry the weight on one of two levels. They're in that situation because I'm a horrible person as a parent. They're in that situation because of the decisions I've made. They're, and while there might be a little truth to that, not that you're a horrible parent or decisions you made, but your life rubs off on them, it's not your job to make sure your adult child has an active relationship with God. You can't save them. Pastors do this. First couple years in this church, I used to think it was my responsibility to save everyone. Now, I knew on paper you don't ever write that down. But practically, I carried the weight of that. Right? My kids are teenagers pressing into their 20s. I worry. And sometimes I grab hold of that worry. And I'm going to. I'm going to muscle through. I'm going to assume what's not mine to assume, and I'm going to expend all kinds of energy and passion because at the end of the day, it's mine to ensure. I saw to some degree people doing this through the election, making sure that all their friends on Facebook and in other ways had all the resources they needed to make a wise decision. But just in case they wouldn't make a wise decision, let's kick it up a notch. That's the kind of worry that is not God-honoring. Can you follow me? I'm not talking about having appropriate concern. I'm talking about assuming a responsibility that's not yours to have. Jesus talked a lot about worry in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Jesus was saying, there's, 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 there's a way to do worry where we are reaching into the future, things that we don't even know are going to happen, and we're grabbing a hold of those concerns and bringing the full weight of them into today. That's not good. That will rob your joy. Some of us do that with our marriages. I've referenced parenting. And we know, in our mind, we can paint a worst-case scenario, and we grab hold of that and pull it back. That kind of worry, that kind of stressing will ruin your joy. So our insight for this little point is, is that when you're stressing, focus what's, on in, what's in front of you today. What's the small thing you can do today? With your child, does this conversation have to end in them landing on their knees going, you're right, mom, I am a sinner. I have been sinning. And I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. In fact, I'm going to be a missionary. Does this conversation you have right now, must it end like that? Or can it be that today what needs to happen is they just need to have a pleasant, gentle conversation with you? With, yeah, maybe, maybe it's the first one. Maybe that's borrowing an awful lot of worry. And if it doesn't go all the way there in this one conversation, did you fail? Do you need to ratchet up your worry? Or... If today, maybe the win is, 
hey, what's going on in your life and what can I pray about? And then we just quit talking and we grab hold of what we can do today. Am I the only one in the room that has grabbed hold of tomorrow's problems and made my fears about all that could happen have a negative and detrimental impact on today? I don't think I am. So Paul says, worry about today. Number two, Paul directs us to pray about everything. This is how he transitioned from ugliness in Philippi to joy in his life. He began to pray about everything. Chapter 4, verse 6. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. A petition is a specific, detailed request. That's what a petition is. It harkens back to a legal document. Big deal in Paul's day. Legality was a big deal. Roman citizenship was a big deal. Philippi was a, a Roman citizen city. And so he says, you make a petition. You, you go to God with something specific. Not that that is a magic slogan or an incantation, if you will. But what happens when you get specific? You begin to put form on your concerns. He prays about everything, which means on occasion he takes time to write it down. Here's a pretty decent exercise for you to go through that I've done occasionally. When you're worried, when you're feeling overwhelmed, grab out the piece of paper and write down all the worst case scenarios. Just put them on paper. And it, what happens is it transforms from this emotion of overwhelm to a few tangible things. And in a few minutes, go back and read your list. You don't even have to wait a day. And you realize, eh, that's, that's reaching. That's a little far. We don't even know that. I'm bringing a lot of extra energy into this thing by getting specific. So Paul says, don't just play emotional games, but what if you went to God in prayer with the specific things that are on your heart? And you just told him how you're feeling, like all of it. And you express to him all of your concerns. Now, the truth is, is that we might need to say that right now, the step for many of us is just to pray. Because we're really not. It's not meant to beat you up. The truth is, a lot of us are carrying extra worry simply because we don't pray. But if you pray, maybe to kick it up a notch, maybe your prayers could get a little bit more specific. Less general. But God, I'm really worried about my son. He's making some foolish decisions. You and I both know it. And you know more than I do. I only get to see what I get to see. But you know it all. And I'm worried, and I don't know what to do, and I'm afraid that. And just take that to the Lord. When we are that transparent in prayer, it reveals a deep trust. It reveals that we believe God can handle it better than we can. And it actually invites him to not just speak to the situation, it invites him to speak to our hearts about it. God, I'm really worried about my marriage right now. I mean, we're pretty good, but this thing here, if it gets out of hand, I'm guilty, maybe you are too, of sometimes waiting to the last minute to pray. And then all my prayers are Hail Mary passes. And I don't mean Catholic. I mean like the football pass. We're down. It's fourth and 15 and we're screwed. Here we go. Boom. And I'm just, I hope, oh, let it land, let it land, let it land. No, no it's fine. You, if that's where you are, do it. But there's something powerful to regularly going to God in prayer about the specifics of what's on your heart. It's one of the ways Paul 
encourages us, and he had lived it. So the insight for us here is there's no problem too big for God's power. We kind of know that. But here's the powerful thing. There's no problem too small for God's concern. Let him know everything on your heart. It's not too big for him, and it's not too small for him. Make it a pattern of talking to him. It's amazing what prayer will do in alleviating fear. It emboldens you to have the conversations you need to have. It emboldens you to think more clearly about what's in front of you. It takes away all the ugly monsters under the bed. Prayer is powerful. In prayer, what we're effectively saying, think about it. God, I can't do this. Because if I could, I wouldn't pray to you. But you can. That's why I'm talking to you and not my buddy over here. It puts you in that place of confident dependence on him. That's why it works. And that confidence implied in the act of prayer is powerful. The Bible calls it by a special word. It calls it faith. When you go to God and you say, I'm not even sure, but I don't know what else to do but talk to you because you know. That's faith in action. It's a pretty powerful thing. Now think about it. Don't, don't raise your hand. When, when you've worried, when, whenever that was last, when you worried, how long did it take you before you really started talking to God about it? I mean, really started talking to God about it. Paul would say, you want to grab hold of joy better? You want to keep fear and worry in its place appropriately? Make prayer an early part of the process. Take him the big things, but take him the small things. Keep taking him all the things. Number three, in this passage, Paul reminds us to thank God for all things. So he talks to us about not worrying. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything and thank God for all things. Now, the words he uses is Philippians chapter four, verse six, in every situation with thanksgiving. Can I tell you what I'm learning? I'm not there. That, that's code for I know I don't do this well. I'm learning. I haven't arrived. That no matter how ugly it is, there's always something to be thankful for. Always. And the practice I put myself through in finding the thing to thank God for, to be grateful for, that discipline, that practice has a profound impact on my life. I don't like this whole mess over here. But what can I be grateful for in it? I, I'm personally just troubled until we get this India thing fi figured out. I, I'm powerless. I don't know, don't know what to do. I, I, I hate that James is stressing. I just, no leader needs that. To whatever degree it's real, to whatever degree it's, it's you know, um, trumped up, I just hate it. And I want to be a partner in it. So, like, I've been thinking, strategizing, 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 strategizing. But in the middle of it, God reminded me, there's a lot to be grateful for. And that then begins to right-size my concern. On occasion, my kids act like idiots. I love them. On occasion. And on occasion, their dad does. And he does. Mom rarely does. But, but, 
So in the middle of it, right, we're having one of those things, one of those ultimately results in a family meeting. Those are always fun. Next time we have one, I'll invite you over, all right? And I'm like, I'm focused on the thing. But even in that, there's a lot to be grateful for. And the discipline of making sure I remember as rough, ugly, unwelcoming as this is, I can be grateful for parts of the things that are connected here. That discipline in everything, give thanks. In everything, find a reason to have thanksgiving. That discipline that you'll go through, let me tell you what will happen. Worry takes its appropriate place. That is, the parts you're responsible for, you can think more clearly about, and you don't assume responsibility that's not yours. And joy begins to climb. I don't have all that I would like to have, but my needs are met. I don't have a problem-free existence, but compared to, I'm pretty okay. Paul was able... I think because of wisdom that comes sometimes with age, but ultimately because of his spiritual growth, he was able to look at incredibly difficult things and say, but God is still involved. And that is what gives me the comfort. Not everything has already worked out. If you're waiting on everything to work out in your life so that you can finally have joy and keep worry at bay, let me just let you on a bit of sad news. That ain't happening. The moment you think it's all worked out, you're either in denial or you just haven't lived long enough to experience the next turn in the, in, in the road. That's just the reality. It ain't ever getting all fixed. But that doesn't mean you have to live a slave to fear or worry or that the joy the Lord has for you can't be yours right now. N- n- number four, let me show you something. Paul shows us what to think about. So if I'm not supposed to focus on worry, if I'm not supposed to assume responsibility, if I'm, then what am I supposed to do? Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, look at this list. Think about what is true. Truth sets people free. Truth destroys lies. Truth obliterates darkness. Truth is always your asset. Whatever is noble Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, these are the things to focus on. What that means is if your child is struggling and you're consumed with that, welcome to parenthood, A, but B, even in the middle of that, is there anything true, right, noble, trustworthy, anything at all? Is there some peace that can become a foundation on which you begin to build something different than just worry? Is there something else? Paul says there is. There always is. There's always something that you can at that point begin to let that hint of truth and godliness and light pull you in the right direction. Don't like my job. Don't like the way my boss is treating me. Don't like, don't like that situation. It, you're, you're right. It, it stinks. It's horrible. Is there anything at all, though, as you're processing that and maybe you have some rough decisions to make and some big, but is there anything in the middle of that that is True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything at all, because those things become anchors to which we hold when seas are rough. If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, on occasion, 
and I don't do much of this anymore because I've learned I'm not very skilled at it, but when I would do a lot of marriage counseling as a pastor, now I'll pray with anybody, all right? But I do this. I, I would often ask this question after about 30 minutes of hearing just how horrible she was or he was. Is there anything good you can say about them? Like anything? Absolutely not, pastor. Swear to God, there's nothing. Well, I knew at that point we're not dealing in reality, right? We're overcome with emotion. We don't have the right perspective. Part of, the, part of the, the, the secret then to counseling is begin to bring perspective. You can do that for yourself. You can do that with the Lord's help. It's, I promise you, it's not as bad as it seems. There is still something to be grateful for. But the way we think about it has a powerful impact on us. That's why Proverbs 23 says, as a man or as a woman thinks in his heart, so is he. This is just that counseling uh, proverb we use that perception is reality. It's not, but for you it is. And you can have an impact on your reality. You can. And it begins with the way you think. That's why I believe scripture should be a, regularly, a regular part of your walk and a regular part of your day. Because what, when you take in scripture, if you just read the Bible, what happens is that becomes a source of truth and beauty and purity and rightness in an otherwise what could be dark world. And sometimes we don't know all the ways that it applies, but I can't tell you the number of times I've read a passage and just a few days later, I'm smack in the middle of something that thing relates to. But the discipline of keeping it in front of me gives me the tool later. You know how this works, right? It's the discipline over time. Brush your teeth two minutes a day, right? That's a big deal has a whole lot of benefit for you. Or how about this? Let's not brush our teeth two minutes a day. Don't do it. And instead, let's pick one day a year to brush our teeth 300 minutes. All right, that's not quite math, but you get the point. Which works? Even if you can figure it out and do it all at once. Here's another one. Exercise 20 minutes a day. Or how about this one? How about, about twice a year you get on a kick and you exercise 12 hours a day for three days. Scripture's the same way. The, the truth of God works the same way. Bite-sized pieces over time dramatically outweighs cramming it all in at a conference once a year. Both are good. Listen, if you haven't brushed your teeth two minutes a day for a long, long, long time, please spend the next three hours helping us all out. Please. I mean, we'll take it. It'll be, it's better than nothing, but it ain't going to help you too much. It's just going to make all of us feel better about you, all right? All right, number four, five, rather. So as a result of this, Paul experiences amazing peace, joy, contentment, fill in your word. I chose peace because it's one of the ones he focused on, Philippians 4. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I like that word guard. It's a Roman term. It doesn't mean like a guard rail. It doesn't mean a safety net. It literally referred to a sentry guard or a garrison or a detachment of soldiers. Here's what happens. When you do these things, Paul says God sets up a detachment of soldiers to guard your mind. He guards your hearts. And nothing's getting through. 
It's powerful to go to God with regularity in prayer. It's powerful to think on the truth and the beauty and the things that God has for us. Those things keep everything else at bay. In what manner? Mechanically, how does it work? God sets up a detachment of soldiers between you and that kind of darkness and says, try getting through to that. There's something powerful. When you and I take prayer, take scripture, and we make it a part of our regiment, regular engagement, it's amazing how much worry, joy stealers, lack of contentment, it's amazing how they don't disappear, but man, they drop. This is the beauty of, uh, of the writer of Hebrews when he says, let me tell you a little trick. Don't forsake assembling together like some people do. Because as you see the day approaching, the day of God, when it's going to get both beautiful and ugly, you need to meet together even more. There's something powerful about getting together and being encouraged, singing songs together, hearing the word of God preached. There's something powerful about you bringing all your concerns to the Lord. There's something powerful about the beauty and the truth and the nobility that we're called to as we read the scripture. These things then set up a guard between us and a world that is broken with real problems that need to be dealt with. But if we're not careful, overwhelm us and actually make us feel stuck. And I want to be clear with you. There isn't a single problem in front of you or an organization you lead in which you are stuck in reality. If you feel stuck, it's in your head. God is greater than every single thing you're facing. And if you don't feel that, you don't know that, it could be that Paul's words here will help you. Prayer, scripture, finding a reason to be grateful for whatever it is you can be grateful for, those things can turn an otherwise overwhelming situation into a God-sized problem that he's more than capable of dealing with. And I have found that when I begin to have God's perspective about what's in front of me, it lifts my spirits, it motivates me. It gives me a certain energy to feel like my next step, however hard it is, is worth it because God's going to use it for his good in my life. This is how Paul had joy. Now, how do you need to have it? How do you need to move forward on the joy God has for you? Prayer, scripture, whatever it is. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like to take a few tangible steps together with you. So would you grab out your Connect card and let's do that together as a congregation. <clears throat> I've been talking about the partnership that we can have with God in our lives where he leads and we follow. But it could be that you don't have a relationship with him. And so we don't want to ever leave our time together without giving you a chance to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To be the one in charge of your life. So if you'd like to do that, next step A on your Connect card says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. What you're basically saying to him is, God, you really are big enough and you care enough and I want you to be in charge of my life. And so you agree with what the Bible says about you, that you're a sinner? It's not a derogatory term, it's just the truth. You need a Savior. You can't save yourself. So God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to be resurrected from a tomb so that we could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And you can trust that. And when you do, the Bible says, when you put your trust in that, you can begin a relationship with God. Very different, qualitatively different relationship than you've had before. 
we ask you to take your pen and check next step A just so we can talk about it. I'll send you an email about it. But I'm going to give you a moment to pray about it in a second when we all bow our heads and ask you to say to God in your own words or use mine, God, I need you. And I trust the work you've done through Jesus to secure my relationship with you. Or how about next step B? Today I'm choosing to be baptized. At the end of this month, the last Sunday, I believe it's the 29th, we have several people getting baptized. If you have questions about it, you want to go public with your faith, think maybe that's for you, you need to check this box and let us follow up with you this week, answer your questions, and perhaps get you signed up for this. Now, next step C is a big part of how we keep the Word of God in front of people. If you're interested in leading a 4C small group, you just check this box. This is a primary vehicle we use to help people grow. And next week, I'm going to share with you our renewed small group strategy. I think you're going to find it helpful. After a few years in, we've learned a few things, and we're turning a bit, not wholesale, but we're making a pretty dramatic turn with small groups. I think you're going to enjoy it and find it helpful. But if you at all have a desire to lead, you just check the box and we communicate with you. If you do that, you will help many people grow. Next step, D. I've been pushing this lately, but if you're interested in the marriage retreat where we're going to get together, we're calling it us. We're going to focus on us. This is, by the way, this is not therapy. This is fun. And we're going to talk about God's work and word in our lives and our marriages. And we're going to see God use it. If you want to be involved in this, check it. We'll send you the link. And the next step, E, is a big parent and student meeting for the missions camp. It's um, next Sunday, right after our second service. If you check this box, I'll send you that link. If you have a child in middle school or high school or you have a friend, you want to check this box so you can have the information. Other than that, I'm going to ask you to take your message notes home and follow some of the steps in it. Let's pray about them right now. Father, I'm grateful for what you're doing in our church. I'm grateful for the growth that we're seeing spiritual growth I'm grateful Lord that this is the place where we can gather as friends as brothers and sisters and have your word open to us Father I want to lift up my spiritual family to you right now there are people who have big things in front of them I pray Lord that you would remind them that it's not too big for you Lord, we have people in our church family who have a myriad of small things, but it's just constantly nipping at them. I pray, Lord, that they would come to know and believe there's nothing too small beyond your concern. I pray, Lord, that you would make your joy complete in us. That we'd go to you in prayer. We'd open your word. We'd find what is noble and pure and right. We'd think on those things. And I pray, Lord, that the joy you grow in us would become our strength. It would lift our heads. It would put a smile on our face. We'd walk in confidence because we're walking with you. Lord, we give all that you're doing to you. Use us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.